Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 23rd June 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Lily's latest acquisition, the outlook for Stellara Biosimilars, better biomarkers needed in the Tidget PD Walton combo field, Sanofi on the deal-making landscape, and the shifting KRAS race in China. A deal that may bring Eli Lilly an oral alternative to blockbuster touts for psoriasis, the US firm unveiled an agreement on 20th June to acquire Dice Therapeutics for approximately $2.4 billion, the sixth largest biopharmaceutical M&A deal of 2023. Joseph Haas writes that under the deal expected to close in Q3, Lilly would acquire Dice's pipeline of oral interleukin-17 inhibitors, as well as the South San Francisco-based firm's Delscape discovery platform, which also has yielded a preclinical oral PD-L1 candidate for cancer and preclinical programs to address gastrointestinal and fibrotic disease. Taltz's compound patent expires in 2026, with another data protection patent expiring in 2028. DICE's lead candidate is DC806, which in May entered a Phase 2b trial for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. It also has DC853, a follow-on IL-17 inhibitor, in Phase 1 with data from healthy volunteers expected during the second half of 2023. The company also has integrin antagonist programs in preclinical development for inflammatory bowel disease and fibrosis, as well as an oral anti-PD-L1 agent in preclinical studies. The deal comes roughly a year and a half after Lilly ended development of its own oral IL-17 inhibitor, LY3509754, after concerns about liver toxicity resulted from a pair of Phase 1 studies. The proposed Lilly Dice transaction is one of eight acquisitions valued at $2 billion or greater so far this year, up from four at the midpoint of 2022. Johnson & Johnson has a host of biosimilar rivals on the horizon, each wanting a slice of its $9.7 billion Stellara sales pie, and until recently, biosimilars industry analysts had predicted that the immunology blockbuster could face US competition before the end of 2023, following the September expiry of a key patent protecting the top-selling brand. However, recent developments have upset those expectations. A pair of separate settlements over Ustekinumab biosimilars suggests that the industry could be in for a rerun of the Humira saga that saw multiple competitors individually all settle with originator Abvi setting up a cascade of date-certain biosimilar launches beginning in January and running throughout this year. The latest development on Solara has seen biosimilar developer Alvotech and its US commercialization partner Teva together settled litigation with J&J in exchange for a launch date for their version of Ustekinumab that will be no later than 21st February 2025, assuming US FDA approval. This followed an earlier settlement between Amgen and the originator that provided a launch date of 1st January 2025 for Amgen's own biosimilar. David Wallace at Scripps' sister publication, Generics Bulletin, writes the parallels between Stellara and Humira are clear. Both are hugely successful immunology biologic brands that have for years featured among the world's top-selling pharmaceuticals, and both are protected by a host of US patents. As such, settlement deals around these products are valuable to both the originator, potentially extending a lucrative monopoly, as well as to biosimilar developers, 
that will benefit from a date-certain launch as well as relief from the cost and uncertainty related to patent litigation. For Himara, the largest single loss of exclusivity opportunity ever for the off-patent industry, momentum started to build on settlements when originator AbbVie struck a deal with Amgen back in 2017, allowing it to launch Adalimumab in the US at the beginning of 2023. As the various subsequent Humara settlements were announced, they featured a range of dates throughout 2023, but certain launch dates for early settlers eventually shifted to slightly earlier in the year, as subsequent settlers reached agreements with Avvi, ultimately leading to a glut of second-wave Adalimumab launches that will come around the start of July. Given the opaque nature of these settlements and the lack of visibility over their exact terms, it's possible that a similar shift could occur with Stellara. In a 12th June note commenting on the Abgen and Teva Alvatech settlements, Wells Fargo said, We see these settlements likely delaying US Stellara loss of exclusivity from September 2023 into 2024 and possibly later. However, one thing that seems certain is that Ustikinimab will be another highly competitive market for US biosimilars. Stellara's global turnover was $9.7 billion in 2022. At the recently concluded American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, Gilead Sciences and Arcus Biosciences joined the ranks of firms developing combinations of PD-1 and PD-L1 inhibitors with monoclonal antibodies targeting TIGIT that have not yet lived up to everyone's expectations in lung cancer. Lung cancer specialists, meanwhile, hope to see more in the way of biomarkers that might lead to better efficacy for TIGIT combinations with PD-1-L1 inhibitors, Alaric Diamond writes. Gilead Arcus presented data at ASCO on 3rd June from the randomised Phase 2 ARC-7 trial combining the PD-1 inhibitor Zimbarelimab with the TIGIT inhibitor Domvanalimab, as well as triplet therapy with those two drugs and the A2-AB adenosine receptor antagonist Itrumadenant, tested against Zimbarelimab monotherapy in non-small cell lung cancer. However, Gilead Oncology Therapeutic Area Head Bill Grossman noted in an interview that the company is planning to focus on the Zimbarelimab Donvanalimab doublet in its pivotal studies. Strictly speaking, the combination arm of those two drugs showed superiority over Zimbarelimab alone, with median progression-free survival of 9.3 months versus 5.4 months after a median 8.5-month follow-up. But that represented a decline from results presented at the ASCO plenary series in December 2022 when, with a median 11.8-month follow-up, the study showed a median PFS of 12 months for the doublet arm, while the monotherapy arm was consistent at 5.4 months. In a June 5th note, Barclays analyst Carter Gould said the results came in below expectations, given that physicians had expected at least a 3- or 4-month improvement in PFS over historical controls with Merck & Co's Keytruda, or a median PFS of 14 months or more for the doublet. Despite the higher median PFS for the doublet at the time, the ARC-7 data still raised doubts about the combination when Gilead and Arcus announced the earlier results in December, particularly as Zimbarelimab monotherapy looked weaker than Keytruda in terms of overall response rate. However, they would still have to clear the hurdle of showing better results than Keytruda combined with chemotherapy, which is the standard of care in first-line NSC-LC. Gilead nevertheless sees the data as positive. Importantly, the PFS continues to separate early and nicely in the Donvanalimab containing arms where we have near doubling of the PFS, Grossman told Scrip. 
Many of the checkpoint inhibitors we thought were going to be somewhat promising and helpful based on preclinical data have been disappointing in the space. Hossein Bargai, who's chief of the Division of Thoracic Medical Oncology at Temple University's Fox Chance Cancer Centre, told Scrip. It's possible that because of a lack of biomarkers, we haven't identified the right patient population. Going into all comers with these more novel checkpoint inhibitors might not be the most appropriate way of developing these drugs. A number of biotechs that are looking for partnerships while struggling for cash suggest there are plenty of reasonably priced candidates around, but there are very few high-quality, late-stage assets and they do not come cheap. That's the view of Monica Vernuck, who's Global Head of Partnering and Business Development at Sanofi. In an interview with Scripps' Kevin Grogan at the recent Bio International Convention in Boston, she said that, despite a perceived downturn in fortunes for the biotech sector, Valuations are actually pretty high across the board, not just for acquisitions, but also licensing. The level of upfront payments across all stages of development have increased significantly over the past three years, she noted. She added that while we have companies that are trading below cash or their IPO prices, one could argue they were overpriced to begin with. So maybe they're not cheap, but they're accurately priced at the moment. Nevertheless, the very high-quality assets are still garnering really high prices, Vernuk said. She noted that while Sanofi was open to all types of deals, the search was on for clinical assets rather than very early-stage projects outside of its Inflammation and Immunology, or INI, franchise, currently headed by the mega-blockbuster Dupixent. We've done a lot of deals over the past three years, almost 40, and a lot of them have involved augmenting our pipeline with early-stage technologies, Vernuk said. Now, outside INI, but in Sanofi's other core areas of vaccines, rare diseases, neurology and oncology, we're going to be looking much more at slightly later stage opportunities. She added, I think it's time now to step back and let those platforms mature and look at replenishing the pipeline with a few more de-risked opportunities that are already in the clinic where the translation has already happened. As for INI, Vernuk said that we are focused on building out the franchise both organically, expanding indications for Dupixent, and externally. In INI, we are going to be very open to the stage of development, as well as the type of deal, including early innovative science collaborations looking for novel mechanisms of action. While Vernuk's team is looking globally, she noted there are underappreciated opportunities in Europe. We are very open to interacting and doing deals in the European biotech ecosystem, she noted. Finally, the business model of in-licensing foreign drug assets has been seen as a shortcut to the launch of novel therapies in China. However, local regulatory challenges or unexpected twists in clinical development are threatening to derail some licensees' efforts to leave behind their domestic rivals, as the case of KRAS G12C inhibitors illustrates. In May 2021, Amgen got the first approval for its KRAS G12C inhibitor Lumacras for the second line or later treatment of non-small cell lung cancer with the KRAS G12C mutation, followed by Marathi's Karazati about 18 months later. Driven by their desire for a head start, two Chinese firms, Beijing and Xilab, licensed in domestic rights to Lumacras and Krasati in 2019 and 2021 respectively, Dexter Yan writes. 
Meanwhile, however, a growing number of the duo's compatriot companies have leaped into the fray, and at present, 12 Chinese companies are conducting trials for their self-developed KRAS molecules, data from Cytline's pharma projects show. While Beijing and Xilab managed to gain an apparent lead over the homegrown contenders, their pace has since slowed down. In January 2021, Lumacras was granted the first breakthrough therapy designation for any KRAS inhibitor in China, which could have fast-tracked clinical development, but it never advanced into trials in the country afterwards. Beijing disclosed in its 2022 results that it would work with Amgen to prepare a transition plan with the anticipated termination of Lumacras under the licensing agreement, citing further investment as no longer commercially viable. Beijing explained that Amgen's application to obtain approval to conduct clinical studies with Lumacras in China was delayed between 2020 and 2022, but without providing further details. While Crosati does not have breakthrough therapy status in China, the Molecules International Phase 3 Crystal 12 trial in second-line NSCLC started dosing of patients enrolled in the Greater China region in July 2022, the programme being designed to assist a new drug filing in China. But last December, Mirati management revealed the US biotech had added overall survival to progression-free survival as a co-primary endpoint for Crystal 12, with the planned global enrolment target also increased to power the trial to show an OS benefit. In early May, Xilab told investors in an earnings call that a China NDA filing for Cruzati was now expected by the end of 2024, as it would be relying on PFS data from the study. Meanwhile, three Chinese fast followers of Lumacras and Cruzati are closing in on domestic NDA filings as second-line or later treatments for KRAS G12C-mutated NSCLC by the end of 2023. Inevent Biologics and Genfleet Therapeutics, IBI351 or GFH925, Inventis Bios, Garcerazib or D1553, and Jacobio Pharmaceuticals, Glesiracib or JAB21822, are all being evaluated in pivotal phase 2 programs in Chinese patients with breakthrough therapy status. Accelerated reviews towards conditional approvals are being targeted according to the company's 2022 annual reports. Importantly, the homegrown KRAS G12C inhibitors have also demonstrated comparable early-stage clinical results to Lumacras and Cruzati. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. A reminder that these articles in full are linked in the story accompanying this podcast in the description below and form just a fraction of the content published in script last week. Log in for access or sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.